our teachers, they liked school when they were kids, went to college, major in school. So when they got out of college, they could return to school to do to others what had been done to them. And they all interact with each other. And so they live in their own little paradigm. We have to change that paradigm. That takes time. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I'm your host and chief goddess of the PASS Foundation, Annalise Corbin. We know the current model for education is obsolete. It was designed to create fleets of assembly line workers, not the thinkers and problem solvers needed today. We've seen the innovations that are possible within education, and it's our goal to leave the box behind and reimagine what education can look like in your own backyard. Welcome to today's episode of Learning Unboxed. As always, I'm excited to talk with another great innovator in the transformative education space. And today we are going to be talking about educational leadership as a positive disruptor and how we think about the concept of what is school and why does it matter. And joining us today is Dr. Bill Daggett. So Bill, welcome to Learning Unboxed. Thanks. Delighted to be here with you. Excellent. And let's set just a little bit of context for our listeners as we get started. Bill is the founder of both the Successful Practices Network and the International Center for Leadership in Education. He is the creator of the Rigor Relevance Framework and the Future Focus Success Framework, which has recently become the cornerstone of much of the nation's school reform efforts. He is also the author of over 26 publications about learning and education books, textbooks, research reports, and journal articles. So Bill has a lot to share with us today. So Bill, as we sort of get started in our conversation, I always want to sort of step back and recognize that there are an incredible number of things that are happening right now in the world of transformative education. Um, It's flying fast and furious in the wake of COVID. And so, um, you know, as we sort of think about your work, especially in educational leadership, what's the thing that you are focused on the most right now that you think is the greatest value add? That, That the schools we now have were really designed for a century that passed us by. Mm-hmm. You know, today's kids are fundamentally different, and it's not just COVID. You know, they have never lived in a world that did not have information technology. Right. Their technology is an extension of their body. It's had profound impact on their brain development mm-hmm. that few people are talking about. But now what just recently happened was that we passed the threshold from information technology into the age of artificial intelligence. And the skills and the knowledge and the attributes they're going to need to be successful in that changing world mm-hmm. uh, are, are quite different than our schools were designed for. And so the kids are different. The world we're preparing them for is different. And therefore, just maybe we need to be a little different. Mm-hmm. And that's what we focus on. Absolutely. And I I so appreciate that because I see it every single day. Uh, The school, as we understand it, is is obsolete and that the kiddos that are at the past innovation lab and in our programs are proving that time and time again. They are I, I just love how you talk about, um, you know, technology being an extension of who these these folks are. It is so incredibly true. How do you, though, Bill, how do you help leaders understand the profoundness 
of these changes, the physiological shifts in the human brain and the way that long-term, all of that's going to sort of play out as the way we think about teaching and learning because there's this this gigantic, gigantic lag and it's not just gigantic lag in the teaching, but it's a gigantic lag in the way that we strategically think about what's possible. Yeah, it's, that's a great question. And we find it begins by creating culture, culture Trump strategy. And, and that culture includes your staff, your boards, and your community. Because most everybody knows what school should be because they went to school. And they're just thinking about how do we refine it and do a better job of teaching what and how we used to teach. You, you got to start with a deep understanding that we don't need to tinker with the system. We need fundamental transformation. You know, I, I often say that uh, revolutionists get killed, however. And that's one of the reasons we have such a, an increasingly shorter and shorter tenure of school superintendents mm-hmm. and principals. I would agree. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't get too far in front of your community and your staff and clearly can't get in front uh, of your board. So it starts with creating a culture. And then you've got to help them think through carefully. What are, what are the different structures we need to put in place? Because, for example, what does third period math have to do with second period science or first period social studies? <laughs> I'm laughing because you're speaking my language. I love it, Bill. Yes. What does it have to do? Yeah, and, and, and because we've got an instructional design problem. Correct. Because, yeah, let's go back. You know, when when most of our listeners were in school, uh, they got information from an encyclopedia in their home when they had needed more information or a library. When's the last time you used an encyclopedia? When's the last time you went to the library to get a book? Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm thinking like middle school, right? Really, like the last time I actually physically used an encyclopedia, it's been decades. Yeah. And so, so in, but in the 20th century, we had to. And so what we did was organize our schools to teach content. And so the math teacher teaches math. The social studies teacher teaches so, social studies and so on because we had to have a basic knowledge base. Today, we Google it. Sorry, Alexa, extraordinary change with ChatGPT and now Bard. Uh, And what happens is they don't need content as much as they need skills. But they're a different set of skills, and those skills you don't learn in isolation, one discipline at a time. And so after you create this culture to say, we need to do something different, people got to say, what, well, what is it? We, we need to redesign our curriculum. But then our problem is we built our workforce around our curriculum. And we regulated it and certified it and tenured it and contracted it. So we have an instructional problem. We have an organizational problem. And what you know exactly and can talk about is we have a physical space problem. Our schools were designed around the footprint of prisons. Everybody in a separate box. That's not what you got the lab here. That's right. No, we, we, we do not have that space. That is true. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then uh, 
with that, that all makes sense, except our teachers, they liked school when they were kids, went to college, major in school. So when they got out of college, they could return to school to do to others what had been done to them. And they all interact with each other. And so they live in their own little paradigm. We have to change that paradigm. That takes time. It does take time. And it's also a balancing act. I want to revisit one of the first things that you said when we started this piece of our conversation around not getting too far ahead. And I agree with you 100%. Culture, and especially culture of that community, is absolutely critical for long-term transformation success. However, how do we balance that need to be patient and really get you know, everybody sort of in the same space to be ready to move? How do we balance that with the needs of what kids today actually need from us now in the moment. Because on the one hand, there's the sense of urgency on behalf of the students who are ultimately entering into a workforce we have never even imagined before, right? And the flip side of it, though, is we have a set of systems and institutions that are lagging behind, and yet we have to recognize that the participants aren't ready to make the shift. This is the space I think that you do such a beautiful job of sort of sorting out and occupying. Um, so how, how do you balance these two needs, Bill? My opinion on that has changed over the last few years. Let me begin by saying that. Interesting. Okay, excellent. Uh, I used to say, well, you, you just, you know, create some degree of pressure, some support, try to change the whole system. Um, I'm saying don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Begin with awareness of why we need to change and then ask for volunteers. Mm-hmm. And in most schools, districts we deal with, you can break the staff in general into thirds. Yep. So can we. Yeah. What do you call them? I'm super curious about this. We got our labels. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We don't, I, I don't know that I have labels, but I say there's a top third that say, right on, let me try. Yeah. They're a scary group because they say right on to every new idea. Sometimes yeah. they get overwhelmed. Yeah. Uh, I call them the lunatic fringe. I like okay? that, though. Yeah, that's good. Uh, on a nice, in a nice way. Then you got another third that are in the middle, and they're really not negative, but they're not sure. Right. And you can't visualize it. Mm-hmm. And so they say, well, how's it going to relate to the test we got to get? Right. Who's right. going to train us? Where is the technology? What's it look like? But then you got another third that basically say, hmm, over my dead body, will you mess up my 2000 laminated lesson plan? Exactly. And so <laughs> what most districts are still trying to do is convince that bottom third. I don't think you're going to convince them. So our advice is change your whole PD uh, scenario and spend all your resources on the top one third and they'll figure it out and network network them with the top one third in other districts. And what we find is the bottom one, uh, the middle one third will watch. And when it begins to work, they'll come along. Takes a couple of years, but they'll come along. But then as school leaders, what you've got is you've got two thirds to three quarters of your staff let them take on the bottom third. Because remember, I, I, earlier I, I said school leaders, you know, they turn over so quickly. 
It's those instructional leaders who are going to be there after the superintendent is left, after the principal is left. They become the key to longevity. And you got to have that. Otherwise, that bottom third will say, I told you so. This too shall pass. And so invest in the top third. Nurture the middle third. Do it in an evolutionary way. That changes your uh, whole PD model. It does. Most people spend most of their time on the bottom third. Yeah. yeah. And it's way more expensive because they're just never going to move. You spend a lot of time trying to get them to move. I completely agree with you 100%. We have, um, over over many years, I refer to those, those, those groups as the three rings of Dante, right? Mm. You got your hell yes, your mm-hmm. hell no's, and in that middle, the what the hell. Right. And then what the hells will get on board. Right. And it's interesting. I, cause I agree with you. You do get that sort of mass and they do sit and they do watch and they wait. And if they see success, then suddenly they want to play. And it is, you're right. It's the fastest way to get systemic change to happen. Yeah. And I wish it, yeah. You know, and I know you do too. I, I wish we could do it quicker. Mm-hmm. I just don't think you can, because then you also got the layers within your community. Right. And then, uh, you know, it, it's a very, very tough institution to change. And given AI, uh, it's more frightening than ever that we're not moving fast enough, but we can't move faster. It is. That's, that's true. And I also think that it's really, really interesting if you sort of think about the, not just the rate and pace of change, but the sort of longevity elements of sort of programs and way of doing. And at the end of the day, what we're really talking about is culture shift, culture shift within a school building, culture shift within the institution locally, uh, statewide, nationally, and certainly at the community level to get folks to really get on board with the idea that, you know, we're not necessarily going to have you know, the traditional progression. We're not necessarily going to have the same time constraints. We're not necessarily going to have the same resources at play. It's a lot for folks to digest. Yeah, it sure is. And again, we circle back and the kids are so different. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people think it's, it's just that they're an extension of their technology, which they are. It's other changes, uh, you know, when I do presentations, I, I do the hard numbers and percentages on this, but th- the number of kids, for example, graduated from high school last year in comparison to the year 2000, the percentage of them that have a driver's license by the time they graduate mm-hmm. is dropped from the low 80% to f- about 52%. Yep. The percentage that have ever had a part-time job mm-hmm. has dropped from mid-80s the mid thirties. Even more profound is the percent that I've ever had a date mm-hmm. has been cut in half. Yeah, uh, the these kids are really, really different. They are profoundly. And, yeah, and I, I think sometimes parents don't totally comprehend how much uh, impact that has on what we do and how we teach and how we interact with them to connect up with them. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of struggle that's going on as it relates to sort of the social components of what it means to to grow through your educational experience currently. 
And mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it's a full on pathway in ways I think also we haven't really thought of it before, right? If we really sort of think about that sort of middle school, middle school experience that rolls into, into high school, that rolls into post-secondary because of all the factors that you just indicated, right? The, the change in the way we think about driving and autonomy, the th- change the way we think about social interactions and dating, the change we think about, you know, early experience and what it means to go to work, right? Then it's going to change everything about the way we progress. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a strategy we often suggest that seems to have great impact is we say to the adults who think everything is just fine. This could be teachers. It could be parents, could be a board member. Mm -hmm. uh, We want you to shadow a student all day Mm -hmm. in a traditional school setting and then shadow them in a place like your lab. Mm -hmm. And tell me, what one do you think will connect up better with our kids? And what one would even connect up better with you? Right. And and I don't think I've ever done that where the adult didn't say, my God, we need change. Mm. So the adult says, my God, we need change. And yet, what, what are the mechanisms that we can deploy right now to accelerate the potential of that change? recognizing that culture shift takes time. We already have established that. But really, at the end of the day, Bill, there is this sense of urgency. How do we effectively and with care and deliberation get us there? Uh, I I think you start with the board and the staff first Mm -hmm. with presentations around the very stuff we're talking about. Uh, then you uh, reach out to the community. Don't don't go to the community before you go to staff and board. Uh, uh, otherwise, staff feels like you set them up. Right. Uh, and again, even with the parents, ask for volunteers. The parents would like the kids in different programs. And then what we've got all over the country, and your lab's a great example, we have random acts of success. Right. We like to video those random acts mm-hmm. of success. And have people see them. Yeah, yeah. And as then the other area where increasingly, I used to think quite honestly it was silly. Uh, just like, well, we're saying it because it sounds good. I now recognize it's important. Student voice. Yeah. Let the kids, but let the kids see other options too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then come back and say, wait, we want the lab setting. We don't want this traditional yeah a program of seven hour or seven periods a day, you're making a set through and everything's connected. Uh, so, which is all part of that culture building. Right. Culture is the biggest thing. But the other thing I think you've got to do is you got to change your assessments. Um, now I ran the curriculum and testing division for the New York state education department. I understand state tests. I understand state curriculum. And I'm here to tell you, schools pay too much attention to it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we use it as an excuse. Mm-hmm. We say, oh, it's going to be on the state test. Now, I do tons of presentations. Uh, and for the last six months or so, I've asked every audience I've been in, which are educators predominantly, what percentage of the time you have kids, K through 12, five and a half hours a day, 180 days a year, mm-hmm. what percentage of the time actually ever has any state test that relates to what you're covering? You want to guess what that percent typically is? 
less than 15%. Yeah, yeah. Depends on the state, around mm-hmm. about 15 to 25%. That gives us 75 to 85% of our time to do anything we choose to do. Mm-hmm. And so we're all using these assessment, the, the state testing, uh, as an excuse. Right. Now, we developed something called a future focus success framework that focuses heavily on core academics, but also then it focuses on interpersonal skills and self-leadership skills. Mm-hmm. But working with cutting edge districts across the country, uh, they have developed rubrics to actually measure those interpersonal skills and those self-leadership skills. And they've put them front and center on the student report card. Mm-hmm. What you assess and what you report is what you value. Right. Most districts are still reporting just traditional academics. And what we found in those communities that we do that, guess what the employers pay the most attention to? The All the other skills. All the other skills. All the other skills. The grades are almost not relevant at all anymore. And, yeah. and how do you get districts to rebalance that, recognizing that the hiring trends in corporate America – in the last few years have shifted and are shifting radically away from the resume or away from all of the post-secondary degree attainment in some industries in many cases into hiring an individual with passion and drive and all these other sets of skills. How do you help them get there, right? Yeah, that's why they hire them. And I ask audiences Mm -hmm. all the time, uh, how many of you have ever had a fire person? Did you fire them because of lack of academic skills? Never. Never. And remember, this is the guy that ran the largest state ed department in the country in terms of the curriculum and instructional programs. Uh, It's not that it's unimportant. We just so overly state the case. Right. And we have killed creativity and engagement. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you know where we killed it the most? in the core academic areas. Mm-hmm. Who's best at engaging the student, uh, having a creative environment, developing the softer skills, are actually the elective program areas. Absolutely. Because they had to be, or the kids wouldn't take their programs because right. they were right. elective. Right. And who do we value least? Those programs. Mm-hmm. It's a and, cultural. And yet they are honestly performance-based in the truest sense of performance, Right. They are all yeah. about completing a set of meaningful tasks to get to that sort of fun thing, the the orchestra performance, the art show, the whatever, right? And they're completely project driven and they're 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 based on you know cl- creativity and 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 a pathway to get me from point A to point B. Um, how do I bring in all of the skills that I have to get to this end end goal? Yeah. So right, so right. Yeah. You know, it was really interesting. Years ago, I um, I did this massive um, rural education project out in the Dakotas um, with the Clinton Global Initiative. And I will never forget, um, very, very similar sort of thing, statewide initiative. Unfortunately, they wanted everybody in instead of just those opting in. You know, all the things that you could imagine would make it really difficult to do, of course, that they did. And I remember a conversation happening about this transition to really more applied hands-on, all this sort of stuff that we we really hoping for. And there was this small voice in the back of the room, big, big, giant auditorium of teachers, right? Small voice in the back of the room that says, well, we do this every day, all the time, and it's really not that hard. I don't understand why all of you just can't get on board. 
And I asked the citizen, stand up and tell us who you are. Because this was a multi-district sort of endeavor thing that was going on. Not the way you want to do it, but it was the way the state set it up. So you, you deal with what you get, right? Turns out this was the band instructor. She says, look, here's the deal. We've been working on timelines forever. Our kids can do everything we're talking about. Because if we couldn't accomplish this, right, we would be singing Christmas carols at Easter. Sure. Right? If yeah. you really step back from that, what she's saying is, you know, the, if, if, you, if you change the parameters, you know, yeah. the, everything will follow suit. I never did for, for, forget that way. And the way that she did it, it was just interesting. You could watch the entire community just kind of go silent thinking about, oh, my gosh, what would it be like to have Christmas carols at Easter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all right. Stuck in a paradigm. Yeah, and, and that's, that, that's really sort of the gist. I'm yeah. super curious, Bill, as you sort of step back and you are deep in the weeds on the work and you just sort of think about what the sort of aspirational goals you know, if you think about your next five years in this in this work, what what do you dream about? What is that? What is that shift that's about to happen, or you can feel that's coming? That is going to be a sort of powerful driver or mechanism that's going to make change more palatable to people. That we transition our mindset to focus first and foremost on students, not on content, with a deep understanding of what these kids are like, that we recognize that while we say college and career ready, we don't mean it. We are college ready. Next grade, next test, next level of education, until most of them fall off the educational ladder. And that career ready actually probably needs to trump college ready, but that doesn't mean career and tech ed. It, mean, it means, you know, in, in college ready, a uh, uh, advanced placement, international baccalaureate are kind of capstone experiences to a system that K-12 gets you ready for that. In a career ready, CTE is a capstone experience. But in the earlier grades, you're having different sets of experiences we just presently don't have. Uh, I'll give you some statistics. A lot of people are surprised. Uh, as of June 2022, don't have June 2023 data yet. Of June 2022, nationwide, of the kids who entered college, two or four-year college, six years earlier, 43% had completed of those who live at or below the poverty line, the completion rate was 13% after six years. Of the kids who did graduate, 41% of them took a job that did not require a single day of higher education. We have, we, we've lost track. Uh, and so we've got to find a way, if you focus on the kids, to become more creative and innovative that will connect up with them, developing those skills they actually need to be career ready, as well as college ready, but career ready. And to do it in such a way that we can truly begin to address the issue of equity in this country. Uh, we've come a long ways, but we have a long ways to go yet. And so... 
It's a rigorous, relevant educational experience built on relationships with students mm-hmm. is, is my dream. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, we, we share some similar dreams. Um, I, I talk about rigorous, relevant, and locally derived uh, to kind mm-hmm. of get us into that space where we can truly engage kids um, and, f- you know, feed our own passions as, as the adults who opted into to being educators to begin with, right? Uh, we, we went there for a reason. Somewhere yep. along the way, the system has made it possible for us to forget that, I think, sometimes, um, which is really, really unfortunate. So if you um, sort of step back um, and recognize based on the conversation that you and I have just had and that separate from investing in that one third that's ready to roll right now, what what do what what do teachers need from their leaders to be able to really, really move themselves forward, their individual classrooms, um, even, even, even cohorts of teachers together outside of the, the investment. What do leaders need to provide for educators who are willing to do the work to really sort of lead their, their schools, their districts in that transformative space? What, what do they need to be successful? Uh, they need to show the teachers uh, and give them time to understand what is happening in the world beyond school that we're preparing kids for. So time actually in, in business and in industry and so on, number one. Number two, uh, their leaders have got to begin to change the organizational structure. We should eliminate, by way of example, department chair people because they're responsible for the silos. They're, they're keeping the institution of the past by design we give them in place, moving more to interdisciplinary teams. Uh and if we begin to do that with a good anchor of what the world outside looks like, I'll give you one example. Baldwin, New York is a school district, and Sherry Cammy is the superintendent there. She just completed her year as president of AASA, American Association of School Superintendents. She took her ESSA money, that district, all districts had ESSA money. And she bought out district of 5,000 kids. She bought out the contracts of 14 teachers for a year and put full-time substitutes in those classrooms for a year. And for one year, those 14 uh, people went and worked in the private sector. They went and worked, uh, went to MIT media labs, see what was happening. They shadowed students for an entire week at a time. Based upon those experiences, they came back to their peers and said, we need fundamental transformation. And it was important that the superintendent just didn't take the 14, just in that top third. She, by design, took some from all three, quad, uh, if you will. Uh, that That is absolutely transforming that district. Wow. That was a really innovative use of those funds. I don't I don't think I've heard that example before. So thank you very much for sharing that. That's quite remarkable. And it will be fascinating to see three years down the road what impact yeah. it has. Yeah, one one of the things we're doing is uh I just mentioned Sherry, uh Cammy. There are thirteen thousand school districts in the country. We are in a deep search right now for the 40 most successful, innovative school districts that are doing all the kind of things you and I just talked about. And we're bringing them together next June 
for three days simply to tell their story. And they don't know each other. They didn't work in a network together. Uh, and, and we're doing that and then inviting districts to bring teams, to bring their top third. So that you can begin to see and get some ideas. What could this look like? People can't visualize it because they have never, ever seen it. It's stuck in their paradigm. I agree, I 100% agree. The reason we built the Innovation Lab was because I kept getting told over and over again, I hear what you're saying, but I just can't imagine it. Never, yeah. never planned to put a stake in the ground. Never once wanted to, to grab a brick or a pane of glass, right? Didn't think we yep. needed to do it. And I discovered, to your point, it can really, really hard to visualize and imagine sometimes. Um, so I totally understand that. I appreciate that. Um, yep. Bill, thank you very much for taking time out of your day to um, chat with us. Uh, we really, really appreciate uh, the conversation. Thanks. And thanks for your leadership with the Innovation Lab. We desperately need your tech leadership across the country. So the thanks go to you. Oh, well, thank you very much. Much appreciated. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.